I'm going to turn my microphone on during the welcome. Um, just fantastic stuff. But you really ought to because this is a special day. Um, uh, Ella Carpenter is going to be baptized. And so I'm very excited about that. Um, and uh, obviously you're, you're welcome to be here for that. I want to talk to her and see her. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be second service. Um, I was going to say this is a relatively normal uh, Sunday, but when a baptism happens, that's a special thing. We've had a lot going on, you know, Easter Sunday and then Student Sunday and then Worship Sunday and Promo Sunday. I loved every one of them. I thought it was great. I, 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 I'm not going to pick a favorite for you, uh, but I really liked all of them. And, uh, but today, at least this service, maybe it's just kind of a, kind of a, a normal Sunday. And I also understand that some lessons are better than others, and that's fine. Uh, that happens. Uh, Mary walked in today with about uh, four dozen eggs, and I got a little upset, got a little scared. Um, I see she doesn't have them back there now. That's okay. Uh, appreciate that. Thank you. We had a stern talk. She does have them. Okay. <laughs> if you see something flying through the air, Jim, will you jump up and block it? Okay, I'm not sure. <laughs> Depending on what points I make here, maybe I'll be hitting too close to home. Maybe that's what it is. Mary's going to be throwing stuff at me. We've got a, uh, we live next to a cemetery out there in West Mansfield. And Sam and I had our, our walk yesterday, walked through the uh, cemetery and looked at the flags and, and, and talked about various things. And you know, we talked about, oh, Battles and, and wars and, and, and sacrifice and giving and all of these all of these things. And uh, it was a good time. I, he's, he's seven now, and so I think a lot of these things are beginning to, you know, he's beginning to remember and, and ask some questions about this. Uh, there's, there's a lot of battles. Uh, a lot of battles we face. In fact, you may be going through a battle right now. It may be a spiritual battle. It may be a struggle of the mind and of the heart. And with everything that we've talked about leading up to this moment, we, you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about eventual faith, or what you might call eventual faith, this wrestling back and forth with God until you give your life over to Him, uh, until you realize that what He wants is for your good and His glory. We've seen courageous faith, certainly with the, uh, the Hebrew midwives as, as they continue to allow the children uh, in Egypt to live. We've seen servant faith, which sometimes can be more difficult than anything else. You know, this constant giving, this constant upholding of others. You know, there's, no, uh, there's no awards given for that type of thing. And yet it's important. In fact, it's those who have a maturity about them, uh, about their love of Jesus Christ that give servant faith. All of this stuff that we've talked about, all of these different aspects of obedience, these descriptions of faith, they mean nothing if it all fails in the middle of battle. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much courageous faith you have, or doesn't matter how much servant faith you have. If it fails in the middle of battle, then none of it matters. It's easy to have faith when everything's going your way. 
It's easy to be obedient when everything's going your way anyway. It's in the midst of battle that can be very difficult. You've probably heard this before. Anybody can do anything he wants. Anybody can do anything he wants. You know, we're going to talk about a battle today that Joshua was in. And we might say to ourselves, well, I can do that. I can be in a battle once. I can, I can be courageous once. I can serve once. But what about the next day? And the day after that? 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 Continuing in your obedience. Continuing in your faith. Particularly in the face of opposition. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for the challenge we are faced with today. That we get to see this persistent obedience, this persistent faith in your servants. Father, we ask that you challenge our hearts and our minds today. That we also will continue in our faith. That we will continue in our trust. That we continue in our obedience day after day after day. In Jesus' name, amen. Persistence continually or continuing firmly, sometimes obstinately, in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Continuing firmly in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. This is our course. Our course is to serve Jesus. Our course is to be obedient to Christ. That's our course if we profess the name of Jesus Christ. And that course lasts throughout our life. It doesn't just last on Sunday morning. It doesn't just last when it's convenient. It lasts day in and day out. And it's very important to understand this definition. When we're going to talk about persistent obedience, we're going to talk about maybe persevering, persevering faith, it's important to realize and understand the definition in spite of difficulty or opposition. This is what Paul talks about when he talks about perseverance of faith. These two key components, difficulty or opposition. And again, persistent faith, persistent obedience, it's easy when there's no opposition. It's easy when you do it once. But based upon our definition, one could argue that there is no such thing as persistent faith. There's no such thing as persevering obedience without difficulty. Without opposition. That opposition comes in two forms. External and internal. External and internal. Turn to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to see some of the things that happened. Some of the areas of Joshua's life. Joshua was another key figure in this Exodus story. We've seen aspects of Moses' faith and and, and, and Aaron's servant faith, and of course the midwives, all of them being a part of this Exodus story. And one of these days we'll go through this full Exodus story. Again, that's not the objective of this series. Today we look at Joshua, and, and, and this first passage is going to sound familiar to you because we talked a little bit about this last week. If I'm keeping my week straight, sometimes they, they merge here. But I, we talked a little bit about this last week. Exodus chapter 17 Verses 8 through 10, Amalek came out and fought, the, fought Israel at Rephidim. These are the Amalekites. 
Moses ordered Joshua, select some men for us and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will take my stand on top of the hill holding God's staff. Verse 10, Joshua did what Moses ordered in order to fight Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. The descendants of Amalek are descendants of Esau. And if you know a little bit about uh, biblical history, uh, the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau never got along. Jacob and Esau never got along. And here they were wanting to engage in battle with the Israelites as they were making their way through the wilderness from where they were in bondage to where they are meant to go. From where they were in bondage to where they are meant to go, there is opposition in the road. You can take that any way you want because there's opposition in your road. There's difficulty in our road. There's those who want to do battle with our minds and our hearts and our souls. The, Amal the Amalekites came out to keep Joshua and the others from going where they were supposed to go. And if they destroyed some in the process, so much the better. But their goal was to prevent them from going from bondage to the promised land. This is where persistence comes in. In fact, persistence in your obedience, persistence in your faith, comes in the ebbs and flows of battle. Joshua is given the command. He's given the order, and he says basically, yes, sir, I have my mission. Yes, sir, I have my course. My course is to obey Jesus Christ. Our course is to obey Jesus Christ. He's given a mission. He says, yes, sir. But the battle didn't always go Joshua's way. Ultimately, they were victorious. But we know from Scripture that it didn't always go their way. Look at verse 11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. And we could stop right there and we think, all right, victory's assured. But realize this. Whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. What does that tell me? That tells me that there are times in that battle when the enemy seemed to be advancing. There are times in that battle when the enemy seemed to be too strong. Even though Joshua had a course, he had a mission, he had a command. We are to move forward through the enemy. Clearly there's a time when the enemy seems to have the upper hand. And this is again where persistent obedience comes into play in Joshua's life and in your life. You see, at the first sign of trouble... Joshua could have done a number of things. Number one, he could have quit the field. Right? This is too much. I, I thought this was going to be easy. I thought we were just going to come in. After all, God's on our side. I thought we were just going to come in and, and, and mow right through the enemy. I, I didn't know we were going to have to have this kind of difficulty and this kind of, of setback. I didn't think that we were going to have to ebb and flow in this. I didn't think that we were going to get the upper hand and then maybe we see sometimes the Amalekites get the upper hand. I thought that was going to be a lot easier. And every time the enemy advances, it gets scary for me. And we could have quit the field. Look, I, I, this following Jesus thing, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's hard and it's, and it's dangerous. I'm going to give a lot of myself. I'm giving my life. Maybe I should just quit. And wouldn't that keep the peace? Right? Here's a battle. Here's an enemy. They're pretty strong. In my heart, in my mind, boy, it's just easier just to stop. 
quit fighting. Joshua could have quit the field. Or perhaps another temptation when the enemy seemed to be winning. Maybe I've done something wrong. You ever think that? Evil seems to be winning. The enemy seems to be winning in your mind, in your heart. It seems to be difficult for a moment. The enemy seems to be advancing. And we say to ourselves, maybe I've done something wrong. Therefore, God hates me or he's mad at me or whatever it is. I got news for you. Something you need to realize. Sometimes in the valley is exactly where you ought to be. God does incredible work when you're in the valley. In the darkness of the valley. Rather than on the mountaintop. In fact, a lot of people have to walk through the valley. Doesn't mean God has given up on you. Doesn't mean you've done anything wrong necessarily when you find yourself in the valley. In fact, when you find yourself in the valley, you ask yourself three questions. Number one, how did I get here? Number two, how am I supposed to respond? Number three, what can I learn? Sometimes in the valley is a very valuable place to be. It's very tempting for us to say, well, I've done something wrong. No, often it is the danger and difficulty and struggle of the enemy. We find ourselves in darkness a little bit. That's a temptation when the enemy seems to be advancing. Another temptation that may have gone through the mind of Joshua if the enemy is advancing is this. Maybe God's way is not the best way. Perhaps I can come up with a better battle plan. And don't tell me for a second that this doesn't go through our minds. This doesn't go through our hearts when the enemy's advancing. Whatever form that enemy takes. Whether it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Maybe God's way is not the best way. These are things we struggle with every day. The Bible says, and we respond, I've got a better plan. I've got a better way. There's no chance, there's no way, there's no hope that any mere human being has a better battle plan than God. Now, it's usually difficult, usually requires submitting to his leadership, and very often the reward is not what we think it is. Very often the reward is an eternal reward, not an immediate reward. But I guarantee you that there's no better plan to combat the enemy than God. Why does it seem to fail? Why does it seem to fail in my life, your life, and lives around us? The problem is we follow God when it's convenient. And we don't follow God when it's inconvenient. We do not allow, as James says... Perseverance to finish its work. Allow persistence, allow perseverance and obedience to Christ to finish its work. We cut it off and then wonder why it's not working. Why am I not growing? Why don't I have this peace? Why don't I have this contentment? Why don't I have this knowledge? Why don't I have this presence of God about me? Because we cut that off, that persistence off, once we're in the middle of the valley. Once we're in the heat of battle. And why? Because we think we've got a better plan, a better battle plan. 
than the eternal word of God. I've tried it. I've tried. I still wrestle with it. God and I are still on the battlefield arguing back and forth. And every time we do that, as we're doing that, the enemy continues to advance. Don't argue with it. God sees tomorrow. He sees the enemy. He sees your life. God's got the best battle plan written out, laid out in the character of Jesus Christ. And you're right, it's not going to look the way everything else looks. But isn't that the point of living a holy life? What about this? The enemy seems to have the upper hand, at least for a moment, in your battle. And you look around. In Joshua's case, your countrymen are falling. Or maybe in your case, your friends or perhaps family members seem to be falling at your side during that time. And the question, the whisper that begins to go through your mind as you are in battle following Jesus no matter what, is it worth it? Is this really worth it? Lose friends. You lose loved ones. Even they appear to get hurt in the process. It's hard. It's difficult. Sometimes it's not very much fun. Sometimes this joy eludes you and escapes you. And you ask the question. I know you've asked the question because I've asked the question. Just about everybody I've talked to has asked the question at some point. Is it really worth it? right now. After all, come on, let's be honest. Let's just, just between us. Alright? It's just one battle. Right? It's just one battle. You can skip it. You don't have to follow Jesus in this one battle, do you? I mean, you've followed him through many spiritual battles before. You'll follow him through many spiritual battles again. It's just one don't worry about it, right? I mean, after all, you are only human. He's going to make an excuse for you, isn't he? Aren't you allowed a couple of these decisions to say, I don't want to follow Jesus in this particular struggle in my life? Is it worth it? And you may say to yourself, it's worth it if I can see the end. You may say to yourself, it's worth it if I can see the reward. Many times what we mean when we say that is an immediate end, an immediate reward. But then that negates the entire point of persistence, of perseverance. It's every day following Jesus. Much like servant obedience, persistent obedience does not find its ultimate reward on this side of the grave. And you'd better just lock that in. Make that a reality in your life. In fact, I mean, you know, think, of, think of other folks. Think of other people in Scripture. Do you think Noah wrestled with this? As he spent a hundred years building a boat with not a cloud in sight? Or Abraham? You think Abraham probably wrestled with this? As he packed up his whole family and moved from a land and a life that he knew to one that he didn't know. I guarantee you because we see Moses wrestling back and forth that Moses went through these things. As he was leading a stiff-necked people for 40 years. What about David? He probably wrestled with this kind of a question. Is it worth it? 
David was on the run, on the run for his life, and yet he refused to kill Saul because Saul was God's anointed, and he did not want to disobey God. Later in life, practically his whole family abandoned him. You think he probably wrestled with that question. Is it worth it? I, I got to cut my favorite. Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God tells both of these prophets the same thing. I'm going to give you a message. I want you to spend years giving that message to the people, and they are not going to listen to you. I guarantee it flashed through their mind. Wonder if this is worth it. Wonder if this is worth it. What did they do? What determined? What makes the difference? Even if they're struggling with those kinds of questions, because they got up the next day and they followed Jesus. Followed the commands of the word. They followed the commands of God. They got up the next day and they persevered. <clears throat> they were persistent in their obedience. Church, I don't care about your faith. I don't care about your courage. I don't care about your service. If there is no persistence, perseverance, day after day, season after season, life after life, and you're following Jesus. Why am I doing this? All of these people, Joshua included, had their eye on something much bigger, much further away than their current circumstances. Joshua was able to do it because his eye was always on the promised land. All of these folks, all of these were able, Abraham was able to do it because of the covenant made with God. Something much bigger, something much grander than just himself and just these current circumstances. Hebrews 11 says this, all of these people, and the Hebrews goes through a lot of these folks, particularly in chapter 11, that are living by faith. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't quit beforehand. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. By the way, this is the passage where we get the title for this whole series. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Look, if they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had an opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. That's how they persevered. That's how they persisted in their obedience to Jesus. Because they weren't living for tomorrow. They were living for eternity. What have we learned? You live for today, you live for eternity. Forget about yesterday and tomorrow. Your mind and your heart cannot be there. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed to be called the God of the persistent believer, the persistent obedient service, the per servant, the persistent faith. He loves that perseverance in every one of us. I, I like this picture of Jesus when it was time to go to the cross. I like the way Luke uh, describes it. He'd been in his ministry, he'd been doing his work. But now it was time to go to the cross. And Luke writes this in chapter 9. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Until that time, he'd been walking. He'd been teaching. But now he knew the course is death. The course is sacrifice. And I am resolutely 
heading towards Jerusalem. Again, Exodus 17, 12-13. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone. You heard about this last week. Put it under him. He sat on it. Aaron and Burr held up his hands, the heroes of this story here. One on one side, one on the other, so that his hands were made steady until sunset. Now look at verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Joshua overcame. Who? We know the story. We know the background. We know that Aaron and her were holding up Moses' hands. Okay, that's three guys that are not Joshua. And God's working through them. And yet, the very word of God says that Joshua overcame the Amalekite army. Wasn't it God's power? And then by extension, Joshua that defeated the army? This is what you have here, church, in perseverance. This is what you have in persistence. You have a tremendous gift. And this gift is given to Joshua. Point is this. In this world, in this creation, God's will is going to be done. You can be sure of that. God's will is going to be done. You ask yourself the question in your persistence, will you be the instrument? Or will your lack of persistent obedience cause God to choose another? Joshua had the gift here of being recorded as this one who was persistent, this one who was obedient, this one who faced the enemy and did not blink because God said so. And if he would have quit the field, eventually these people would have made it to the promised land. It just wouldn't have been Joshua. Joshua wouldn't have been the one who was able to be perse persevere, who was able to be persistent through this battle. You've probably heard this another way, and I love this from Paul. I'm sure you've heard this verse before as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. For I've already... For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Remember, through this whole series, James tells us we need to use interchangeably faith and obedience. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Here's a, here's a promise. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Listen to the confidence in Paul's voice in his writing. What's in store for me? What's in store for me after this lifelong, actually not lifelong, I'll tell you, Paul's a great example of Eventual faith, and then courageous faith, servant faith. He's a great example of this, persistent faith, clear to the end. And he has confidence, assurance, that he receives this eternal righteousness. By the way, there is an assurance component of salvation. Don't let anyone ever tell you different. All right? if, if you miss that, you miss the message of the cross. There is a, an assurance part of that. We think there's a forgiveness part. We think that there's a transformation part. But we miss the fact that there's an assurance part. Paul is a great example of everything we've talked about. And look, maybe this is it. Maybe this is, 
Maybe there's one valley. Joshua goes out. There's, the, there's kind of the ebb and the flow of the battle, but he remains firm. He ends up defeating the Amalekites, and everything moves on as normal. I, even we say to ourselves, well, I might be able to do that. I'm not saying I would like it, but I could go into one battle. I could remain faithful in one battle. Another time we see Joshua, he's once again facing opposition. Numbers chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Now they're right on the edge, after two years of journey, they're right on the edge of the promised land. And before they go in, they end up sending in some spies to check out the lay of the land. So send some of these guys into Canaan, which I'm giving the Israelites, one from each tribe. And so Moses picks a guy from every tribe. Joshua is one of the men chosen to do this. And the Bible then talks about the spies in Canaan. They talk about their time there, the things they saw, the things they did. And then in verse 25 of Numbers 13, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at Kadesh, and the desert of Paran. There they reported to them, to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land, which was grand. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. We have opposition, don't we? We have opposition. We have difficulty. The people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified. They're very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. That's just, just big guys. We can talk about that later. They're just really big people. The Amalekites lived in the Geb, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites lived in the hill country, the Canaanites lived near the sea and along the Jordan. None of these guys wanted to go back, even though God said, this land is yours. None of them except for two. Two of these men, two of these spies wanted to move forward, occupying the land God gave them. And why? For one reason. One reason. Because God said so. That's it. In fact, we're going to talk about Caleb next week. So I don't, I don't want to talk a whole lot about him right now. But Joshua and Caleb, they wanted to go back and occupy this land that they owned. They owned it. It was given to them by God. God said so. And they wanted to continue. But the men, verse, uh, Numbers 13, 31 through 32, the men who had gone up with them said, look, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And then they did something horrible, verse 32. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land. Everybody's against Joshua. A bad report about the land. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. We know this is not true. We know it's in fact a great land as they're with the assembly of the elders, but now they're spreading rumors of a bad land. All the people we saw there were of great size, which again, we know is not true. There were a few that they saw, numbers 14, 1 through 2. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron because that's what they did. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Note that. The people are on the edge of the promised land. Their persistent obedience, their persevering faith is gone. And they say, if only we would have died in the wilderness. Boy, that was a bad line. I, looking back, I'll, I wish they could have chosen anything else than that line. Two guys. Moses and Aaron, if you, if you include them, then that's four. Against the entire nation. That's opposition. 
surely they're going to give in to the crowd, right? I mean, if you've got the entire assembly, if you've got the entire nation, if you've got the entire group disagreeing with your decision to follow God, you must be wrong, correct? I mean, surely they're going to give in. Surely they have missed something. There's no way these two guys are going to maintain their position against the entire country. Look, persistence and faith is one thing. But these are your countrymen, your friends, your family, all telling you that you are wrong. Even if they maintain their course, what good is it going to do against overwhelming disagreement? Numbers 14, 6-9, Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephana, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes. This is, this is anger, this is sadness, this is grieving, this is disagreement with the rest of the group. They tore their clothes and said to the entire, entire Israelite assembly, look, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he's going to lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey, and he's going to give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection's gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And I'm sure this impassioned plea turned their hearts. Verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Killing them. <coughs> and yet nowhere in Scripture do we see these two men, Joshua and Caleb, wavering. Persistence, church, begets persistence. Perseverance begets perseverance. There is a line later on in Joshua's life, about 57 years after this moment, that Joshua uses before the same Israelite people. He basically says this. Tell, he tells them to honor God with their lives. And then he says, but even if you don't, I will. I will. You may have heard it like this, Joshua 24, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua knew what persistent faith was. He knew what perseverance was. Where do you think he gets the ability to resist the entire nation like that in the face of adversity? You can look at the above story 57 years ago. He's been doing this his whole life. His whole life is about persistent faith. His whole life is about persistent obedience. His whole life is about following God, perseverance in the face of difficulty. He sets a course when he was younger, and he will not depart from that course. But you want to know the one thing that makes his persistence so incredible? Remember what we said at the very beginning. Anyone can do anything once. It's not just the opposition of others. It's the opposition of time. Remember I told you the people's response. Why don't you let us die here in the wilderness? Well, at that point, God did what we very rarely ever want God to do in our lives. God said, okay, have it your way. In fact, he tells them they are going to get exactly what they asked for. It's a dangerous thing. 
they're going to get exactly what they asked for. So tell them in Numbers 14, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has rebelled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. I told you, persistence easy is easy when there's no opposition. And that this opposition comes in two forms. Number one is external. Number two is internal. Here we see an internal opposition in the form of time. Joshua, by all accounts, is a righteous man. And now, what is Joshua? One of only two that said they wanted to go into the promised land. What is Joshua going to have to do for the next 40 years? Would you be angry? Would you throw up your hands and walk out? Be awfully tempted. Wouldn't it? You and Caleb, on the edge, you want to go into the promised land. Then God says, the rest of you, including Joshua and Caleb, are going to be wandering around the desert for 40 years. Persistent faith is not just about the opposition of another, it's about the opposition of time. Day after day after day, year after year after year. Yes, when it doesn't seem fair. Yes, when you've got a long road ahead. I don't know what Joshua wrestled with in his mind or in his heart. I don't know what you're wrestling with in your mind and your heart, but I guarantee you the road in the wilderness gets trying. It gets difficult. It gets hard. And Joshua continues to serve these people. Imagine Joshua fighting Israel's battles on the verge of the promised land, hearing these words. Now imagine he looks over the expanse of the wilderness. Do I quit? Do I give up? Haven't I fought my fights? Isn't it their problem and not mine? What wilderness are you looking over right now? Let me ask you, does it seem too much? Does your wilderness seem too much right now? What if it has been? What if you've stumbled in the wilderness? i got a piece of advice for you. Get up. Get up. I don't care how you've stumbled. I don't care where you've stumbled. Get up. Brush yourself off. And continue to follow Jesus. Proverbs 24. We're skipping a few there, guys. Proverbs 24. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble once landed strikes. Joshua's gaze was fixed on the promised land. And then he turned to the wilderness and said, I will continue to follow Jesus in the wilderness. Ultimately, It'll be another 40 years, 38 years before he gets to the promised land. Another seven years of war once he enters the promised land. And then an additional seven years after that of settling the land before he gives his famous speech. Joshua recorded these things in Joshua 24 in the book of the law. 
Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of God. See, he said to the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you're untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance there in Ephraim. Verse 31, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. There's a few Joshua's in Scripture. But there's two that jump off the page because of their unwavering faith, their unwavering obedience. Here's one of them. Who's the other one? We say it a little bit differently in English. Yeshua. Jesus. Joshua. Unwavering. Unwavering. Persistent to the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can have the strength needed, the courage needed to continue to follow Thank you, Father, that we have direction in the wilderness. So, Father, we ask tomorrow that we follow you. Day after we follow you. Day after we follow you. Father, we ask that we keep our eyes upon eternity. That we may express our faith and our obedience day after day after day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and say. Take my
said, next uh, service, we got a big moment, big moment uh, with Ella Carpenter. Guys, remember, listen, when it comes to your persistent obedience, please take this with you. Anybody can do anything once, right? Whether it's one act, one day, one season of life. But it's every day. It's your persistence. That's what, I don't know, the only way I know how to put it, that's what separates the men from the boys. Is this persistence in your obedience to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity uh, today, right now, today, to be persistent in our obedience to you. And Father, there's a lot of things that we don't understand. There's a lot of things about tomorrow that we can't see. And so, Father, help us to be here today, live today in obedience to Jesus Christ with our eye on eternity, something bigger. Father, give us the courage we need. Give us the humility we need. Give us the strength we need. Give us the awareness to follow Jesus today. It's in his name. Amen. Amen. Indeed, um, it's a day of praise, a day of worship, <clears throat> a day of life. Uh, with Ella. It's a day of, or a time of remembrance. Um, we are in Memorial Day and Memorial Day weekend. Uh, for some people, it is a joyous occasion. For some, it's a very difficult uh, time, uh, but it's important. And uh, so I hope you have a, a fulfilling uh, holiday. A couple things to remember before we move forward. Uh, number one, there's no collide tonight. Uh, a lot of the people, there's a lot of people that help out with that. And there's or the issue, when we are looking at our own strength or our own ingenuity, you cannot overcome, you cannot be victorious in these battles. You got to look at Jesus. And I mean, everybody says this, right? Preachers say, look to Jesus. What does that mean? What does that even mean? It means your thoughts are focused upon him. It means that you have to understand and realize where you are, God is there also. It is impossible to escape him. What you say, what you think, he's there. How you act, how you feel, I hate talking about feelings, but how you feel, he's there too. It's impossible to separate God from the creation. Now, God is not the creation. But it's impossible to separate him from the creation. He's present. You need to realize that. That there really is a spiritual world. That's reality. That there really is a struggle and a battle that goes on. And you need to take it upon yourself to follow Jesus. Jesus does a lot of stuff for you except make you follow him. Obedience. James tells us obedience and faith are interchangeable. He tells us, look, I don't care how much faith you say you have. Show me. Show me, says James. There's a lot of battles that we go through. And it's in the face of battle that we realize our persistence in our faith or our perseverance in our faith. We've talked about a lot of things. But none of it really matters without persistence. In our obedience to Christ. Let's pray. Father we thank you. 
We thank you, Father, for the gift that you've given us of, of, of a challenge in our perseverance. We thank you, Father, that you've given us opportunity to be courageous and strong, that you've given us opportunity to trust you. Father, we don't, uh, we don't want you to take those away, but we do need, Father. We need help. We need strength. We need the mindset of perseverance, the dedication of perseverance in our life, Father. Help us to be challenged with that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Courageous faith, servant faith, servant obedience. You ever notice anybody can do anything once? Anybody can do anything once. Whether it's good or bad, really doesn't matter. Anybody can do anything once. Anybody can profess the name of Jesus once. Anybody can engage in battle once. Anybody can show courage once. Anybody can show servant faith once. In fact, there's things that you love to do that you can do once. There's things you absolutely hate to do, and you can still do it once. What about that servant faith tomorrow? And the day after that? 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 What about the courageous faith? Courageous faith here on Sunday morning in the church. We just saw Ella, a little girl, get baptized, give her life to Jesus. Everybody's going to be courageous in Jesus. What about tomorrow? What about a week from now? What about 20 years from now? And it continues, and it goes on, and it goes on. We've talked about this eventual faith, how so many people wrestle back and forth with Jesus until we give our life over to his call, and that is good and it's commendable. We've talked about courageous faith. As we saw the, the midwives uh, continuing to follow and fear God more than they feared Pharaoh. And they allowed the kids to live. We talked about servant faith when we saw uh, Aaron serving and lifting up and holding up his brother. Getting no reward for it. But that was his job and that was his calling and that's what he did. And all of these things are great. They're commendable and they're things that you need to pursue. But none of it matters if you only do it once. Do you realize that? If it's a one-time shot, who cares? Don't even the pagans do that. It's day after day after day after day after day. Right? That's where we get. It's perseverance. It's persistence. and Nothing else. Matters without it. Look at the, the, the definition of persistent faith. Continuing firmly, sometimes obstinately, I suppose. Continuing firmly in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Continuing firmly in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. That is persistent faith. That is persevering faith. Our course, at least what we claim... What we profess is to follow Jesus with our lives, to obey God. That's the course. And it's in the midst of battle that we face opposition. It's in the midst of battle we face difficulty. It's important to understand the definition as we look at persistent faith. It's the kind of persevering faith that Paul talks about. There's two key components when it comes to persevering. Two key components when it comes to persistent obedience, difficulty, or opposition. Difficulty or opposition. In fact... Persistent faith without opposition, persistent faith with no opposition, pretty easy. It's real easy to obey Jesus when Jesus happens to be going your way anyway, doesn't it? When he, you guys happen to be moving on the same road. 
when there's no difficulty, no struggle, no opposition, externally or internally, it's real easy to have faith. Based on our definition, I would argue that there's no such thing as persistent obedience or persistent faith without difficulty or opposition. It doesn't exist. You cannot persist in your faith. You cannot persevere in your faith unless there is opposition or difficulty. And again, this comes in two ways, external and internal. I want to look at Joshua today. Turn to Exodus chapter 17. Now, this story is going to sound familiar because we talked about this a little bit last week when we looked at servant faith. I think it was last week. Things start start around together sometimes. We looked at Aaron, and we looked at some of the things that he did in his service. I want to look at this story again as we look at Joshua. The first time we see Joshua is in the face of opposition. We looked at Moses. We looked at the midwives. We've looked at uh, 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 Aaron. We see Joshua today. We're going to look at Caleb next week. Exodus chapter 17, 8 through 10, Amalek, that is the, the Amalekites, Amalek came out and fought against Israel at Rephidim. They're on their way from Egypt to the promised land. They're making their journey, kind of the shortest road that they can, and they've got to pass by this area. And so this group of people that wanted to prevent them from going forward came out to fight against them. Moses ordered Joshua, select some men for us and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow, I'm going to take my stand on top of a hill holding God's staff. And so Joshua did what Moses ordered in order to fight Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now, the descendants of Amalek are the Amalekites. They are uh, descendants of Esau. And if you know anything about biblical history, Esau and the descendants of Jacob never got along. Uh, They hated each other from the very beginning. But the point is this. There was a force that came out against the Israelites to prevent them from where they were supposed to be going. From bondage to where they wanted to go. From bondage from where they were supposed to go. Something intervened. Something wanted to keep them from going where they were meant to travel. And look, if the Amalekites destroyed some Israelites in the process, so much the better. But their main goal was to prevent them from going forward. Persistence comes. Persistence comes in the ebbs and flows of life. It comes in the ebbs and flows of battles. Joshua is charged with leading this battle. He's given a command and he says, yes, sir. That's what Joshua says. I have my mission. But interestingly, the battle did not always go Joshua's way. We tend to think it did because we remember Moses holding up his hands. We remember the Israelites being victorious. We remember the power of God working through Moses and Aaron and Hur. But read the text in verse seven, verse 11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Great. Let's just stop there. But we also know this. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. What does this tell me? In this battle in which the Israelites engaged, in this battle in which Joshua was moving through, it ebbed and flowed. There were times when he was advancing and victorious, but then there were times when the enemy seemed to be victorious or advancing, or the enemy seemed to be too strong. We know this through the text itself. Clearly, there's a time when the enemy throughout this battle gets the upper hand. This is where persistent obedience comes into play. Joshua had a couple of choices at the first sign of trouble or the first sign of difficulty. Number one, he could have just quit the field. Imagine that. 
Imagine that. Moses gets tired, lowers his hands for a second. Before, before Moses and Aaron and her work out a system up on the hill, Moses gets tired, his hands drop. All of a sudden, the Amalekites begin winning and defeating Joshua and the Israelites. What if Joshua would have just turned tail and run? It's too strong. It's too big. Here they come. This battle's too hard. Clearly the enemy, clearly that which battles my mind and my soul and my heart is too strong. It's just going to be easier to give up. Why continue to follow Jesus? Why not just give in? I got news for you, church. Life's going to be a lot easier if you just give in. Life's going to be a lot easier if you do not obey Jesus. Anybody who wants to leave now can. Go ahead. I'll wait. Seems ridiculous though, doesn't it? We don't want to give up believing in Jesus. We don't want to give up obedience to Jesus because we've got our mind, our eye on something bigger, something grander. I promise you, though, to quit the field is going to be a lot easier. Again, persistence comes into play. Or perhaps another temptation when the enemy seems to be winning, maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe I'm in the valley because God hates me. Maybe I'm in the battle because God hates me. Maybe the enemy seems to be strong and seems to be advancing because I've screwed up too many times. God has left. He doesn't care about me. He's punishing me because he hates me. Church, i got news for you. Sometimes in the valley is exactly where you're meant to be. Sometimes in the battle is one of the best things that can ever happen to you. In fact, when you find yourself in the valley, in the shadow of death, you ask yourself three questions. Number one, how did I get here? Was it my fault? Can I just turn around? <laughs> right? Often we put ourselves in valleys. Number one, how did I get here? Number two, how should I respond? Number three, what should I learn? What should I learn? These battles can strengthen. These battles give themselves over and build perseverance. We know from James, perseverance builds the character of Jesus Christ in your life. Sometimes they can be tremendous gifts. What have I done wrong is a temptation to ask. Another temptation that may have gone through Joshua's mind, maybe God's way is not the best way. Perhaps I can come up with a better plan. Well, don't tell me for a second this doesn't flash through our minds and our hearts. We know what God desires, and that is to live out the character of Jesus in any and all situations. And I'm staring at a group of people, and I'm especially staring at a group of people when I'm holding up a mirror that has many times through life said, no, I got a better way. I got a better way than Jesus does. I got a better battle plan than the God who created the universe. Because it's difficult to follow Jesus. It's hard to give your life over to Jesus Christ. It's hard to obey him in the midst of the battle. It's hard to obey him in the midst of the valley. And every time we wrestle with this, I've got a better way, quicker way, easier way, more efficient way, more effective way. Maybe that went through Joshua's mind. As the enemy seemed, seemed to have the upper hand. Or maybe this. The enemy seems to be advancing. You look around in Joshua's case, your countrymen are falling. Maybe friends, maybe family members seem to be falling at the wayside. And this question, this whisper goes through your mind. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? You ever ask yourself that question when your faith is put to the test? 
when your obedience is put to the test, have you ever asked yourself that question? Is it really worth it? I mean, come on, it's one battle, right? It's Joshua in one battle. You're going through one battle right now. You, 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 you followed Jesus in the past. You're going to follow Jesus in the future. Just, just give up this one. Just give up once. I'm not going to tell anybody. All right? You won't tell anybody. After all, haven't you earned it? Don't you deserve a break? Not obeying Jesus just this once? Is it really worth it? Because as I look around, I see friends of mine that get hurt because of my decision. Their reputations get hurt. Their feelings get hurt. What's that feelings word again? I, I hate Now, I see family members. I see friends. They struggle because I want to follow Jesus. Is it really worth it? Maybe I should just give up my obedience and keep the peace, right? And we can even make up excuses, can't we? Well, I'm not going to obey Jesus now because it's going to be better for them. It'll help them. Well, we love those excuses. We're good at it, too. Is it really worth it? Much like servant obedience, I guarantee you, persistent obedience does not find its ultimate reward on this side of the grave, church. Is it worth it? I wonder, do we think Noah asked this question? He probably did. He probably struggled with this question. Asking this question after he spent 100 years building a boat with the sun shining. Or Abraham, as he packed up his family from everything he ever knew and moved to a foreign land, a place that he knew nothing about. I wonder if he asked, is this really worth it? Or Moses. We know Moses wrestled with this as he leads a stiff-necked people for 40 years in the wilderness. What about David? David's on the run for his life. He could kill Saul at any time, but he, he doesn't. He stops because he calls Saul God's anointed and he won't disobey God. Is it really worth it? Later on in life, he's abandoned by practically his whole family. I wonder if he asks, is it worth it? My favorite is Jeremiah or Ezekiel or practically any prophet you want to name, but particularly those two. God tells them to give Israel a message. He calls them to give them a message. And then in the very same line, God tells them, and by the way, they won't listen to you. I want you to spend your life giving the message. And they won't listen to you. I wonder if they wrestled with this. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth honoring God, following God? Why am I doing this? You know how Joshua is able to do things like this? You know how all of these people we just talked about are able to do something like this? They had their eyes on something a lot bigger, a lot bigger than their current circumstances. They were not living for the battle. They were living for eternity. Why was Joshua able to engage in battle and not quit? Because his eyes were on the promised land, not on the enemy in front of him. Joshua was able to continue through the battle because Joshua was seeing through the enemy to the promised land. That was his focus. Where do we never want to focus? We never want to focus. We never want our hearts and our minds yesterday or tomorrow. Today and eternity gives you strength. Jesus says, quit worrying about tomorrow. Why, why, why is your mind and heart in tomorrow? Stop that. Focus on today and eternity. Paul tells us, forget about yesterday. Today and eternity. There's where our strength comes from. Joshua was focusing on the end, the promised land. 
Hebrews 11, all these people were still living by faith. All these people we just talked about were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. By the way, this verse right here, this is where we got the title for the series. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking about the country they'd left, look, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Is God ashamed to be called your God? What's your faith like? What's your obedience like? God wasn't ashamed to be called their God. That tells me that God can be ashamed to be called someone's God. Exodus 17, 12 through 13. Again, going back to the battle, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. Look at verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Now, wait a minute. We know the whole story. We know that Moses was on the mountain, that Aaron and Hur were lifting up his hands. We know that God was working through his servant Moses to bring victory. And here in his own word, he records that Joshua was victorious over the Amalekites. You see, this is another gift of persistent faith. This is another gift of persevering faith. This is an incredible gift that Joshua is given. God's will is going to be done. And this life, this world, this creation, his will is going to be done. Whether you like it or not, his will is going to be done. The question is, are you going to be used as the instrument? Or is God going to pick somebody else? If Joshua would have fled the field, I guarantee you eventually the Israelites would have made it to the promised land. But Joshua be hanging his head the whole way because he wasn't used as the instrument in the middle and moment of that battle persevering in the midst of the enemy I like Paul summing this up you've heard this probably many times but it's such a powerful almost poetic passage as a verse in scripture 2 Timothy chapter 4 <clears throat> for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. Second Timothy, this is, this is Paul knowing he's going to be executed. There's a great deal of emotion in Second Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me, listen to his confidence. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Here's the promise. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Can you imagine signing that at the end of the page? You can. Why, why, do, you, why do you think? Think this belongs to Paul? You think that belongs to Paul? There's an assurance aspect of salvation that sometimes we forget about. We think, about the, we, we think about forgiveness, we think about transformation. There's an assurance component that if you miss, you miss the gospel message. 
Paul's a great example of eventual faith and then courageous faith and servant faith and persistent faith. What about the other time? There's another time we'll see Joshua. I mean, if it was just one battle, who cares, right? We can do that. Right? One battle. It wouldn't be particularly pleasant, but come on. Be faithful in one battle. All right, fair enough. I'll sign up for that. But the next time we see Joshua, he's again facing opposition. Numbers chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, they're on the edge of the promised land. They've been traveling for two years from Egypt to here. Now they're about ready to go into the promised land. That is the land of Canaan. The Lord said to Moses, before you go in, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And so Joshua was one of these guys. He picks 12 guys. Joshua was one of these guys. And the Bible talks about the spies and their time in Canaan and some of the things that they did and some of the things that they saw. And then we get to uh, Numbers 13, 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them, to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Look, here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. There's some opposition right there. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. That's just a big guy, okay? Just a big guy. We'll, we'll talk about him some other day. But just a really, really big person. Uh, verse 29. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all the ites that hate Israelites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. All ten. Ten of these guys did not want to go back. Ten of these guys said, we're going to lose. Ten of these guys said, it's too hard. Two guys. Two spies out of 12. Two of them wanted to move forward and only two. Two wanted to move forward. They wanted to go into the promised land and receive the land that they owned. Receive the land that God gave to them. Was it difficult? Was it hard? Was it going to be a lot of trouble and difficult and rough? Yes, it was. But Joshua and Caleb wanted to go into the promised land for one reason. Because God said so. God said so. I don't know what we're going to see. I don't know what we're going to expect. I don't know how every battle is going to go. I don't know how hard it's going to be. But Caleb and Joshua said, God said to go into the promised land, so that's where we're going. 31 through 32, but the men had, who had gone up with them said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And this is where it gets really bad, verse 32. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they'd explored. They just got done giving a great report to the elders of the land. Now they're going through the Israelite nation. A bad report. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were giants. Numbers 14, 1 through 2. That night, all the members of the community, that is the entire Israelite nation on the edge of the promised land, raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron because that's just what they did. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Now, of all the lines in the world you wish you could take back, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one. We don't want to have persistent faith. We don't want to persevere in our obedience. We'd rather die in the wilderness. We'd rather lay down. Or we'd rather go back to bondage in Egypt. Two gods, Joshua and Caleb, four if you include Moses and Aaron, against the entire Israelite nation. 
Surely they're going to give in to this crowd, right? I mean, after all, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to persist in your obedience to Christ, and everyone around you is telling you you are wrong, you're obviously wrong, right? Correct? All your friends, all your family, all your countrymen, everything you've ever known is telling you that following Jesus is wrong. Clearly, you've made a mistake somewhere. I mean, what are the odds? Well, I don't know. It'd be awfully tempting for Joshua and Caleb. I mean, persistence in faith is one thing. <laughs> but this is everyone you've ever known telling you that you're wrong. And even if they do maintain their course, what good is it going to do against overwhelming disagreement? Numbers 14, 6 through 9, Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephana, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes. This is, this is anger. This is frustration. This is sadness. This is disagreeing with the rest of the Israelites. They said to the entire Israelite assembly, look, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord's pleased with us, he's going to lead us into that land, this land flowing with milk and honey, and he's going to give it to us. But do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of these people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And I'm sure this impassioned plea turned their hearts. Verse 10, the whole assembly then talked of stoning them, killing them. You think that's unique? You want to follow Jesus? You think something like that's never going to happen in your life? Let's get real honest for a second. A lot of people who would love to do away with every person who's going to be obedient to Christ. You better know what you're signing up for. Nowhere in scripture do we see these two men, Joshua and Caleb, wavering. Persistence begets persistence. Perseverance begets perseverance. You know, there's a line later on in Joshua's life, about 57 years after this moment, that Joshua uses before the, the entire Israelite community once again. And he tells them to honor God with their lives. But then he says, even if you don't, I will. Even if you don't, I will. You may have heard it like this, Joshua 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods, the false gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the false gods the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Where do you think he's able to get that? Why, why do you think he's able to say that to this entire Israelite community near the end of his life? Well, you can go back 57 years and look at his life. He's been doing it his entire life. His entire life has been in persistence of God, persistence in his faith and his obedience, this pursuit of who God is. Hey, Joshua sets a course at the beginning of this whole saga when he's very young. He sets a course and will not depart from that course. But you want to know what makes his persistence even, even greater than all of this? Greater than the service that he had as he's leading this, this army out to fight the Amalekites. Greater than the courage that he shows in front of all of these people. You want to know the greatest thing about his persistence? It's not just outward opposition. It's time. Time. 
Remember I told you the Israelite response, why don't you leave us here in the wilderness to die? Um, that's when God says something we very rarely ever want God to say, right? He says, okay, have it your way. And that's literally what God says. He says, I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. You never want God to do that, ever. See, we think we do sometimes. God says, I'm going to give you what is good for you. You never want God to give you what you want. But he gives the Israelites what they want here. He says, so tell them in Numbers 14, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census, who has grumbled against me. By the way, this is a great picture of the eternal separation from God from those who deny. The Exodus story is here because it is a picture of the journey of the human being. Okay, That's why it's here. Whether it's the human race or a single person, you should get to know the Exodus story. Dive into it. Okay, That's why it's in Scripture. Okay. Anyway, let's keep going. He says, every one of you is going to die in the desert. That's, that's pretty much what he says. Verse 30. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. I told you that persistence is easy when there's no opposition. I also said that opposition comes in two forms, external and internal. And here we see opposition internally. Joshua, by all accounts, is a righteous man. Joshua was the one that wanted to go into the promised land. And now Joshua is going to have to wander in the desert for 40 years. Thanks to the faithlessness of others. Thanks to the faithlessness of the people he is serving. Look, Joshua probably never dreamed once of fleeing the battlefield. But what about this? What about this? What good has my faith done? What good has my obedience done? Not only did I fail to persuade these people, not only did they refuse my example, but now I am lumped in with the rest of them in the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua fighting Israel's battles on the verge of the promised land. You've heard it before, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. James 1, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Look at verse 4, know it, memorize it. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let perseverance finish its work. Let obedience to Christ finish its work. Let persistence finish its work. Imagine Joshua after fighting Israel's battles on the verge of the promised land, hearing these words, you're not going to go in. Now imagine he looks out over the expanse of the wilderness. What is the wrestling match that's going on in his head? This way, he sees the land flowing with milk and honey. This way, he sees the wilderness that he just came through, and he knows he's the only one, him and Caleb, that we're going to follow God into the promised land. Would you quit? I honestly don't know. I'll be honest with you. I honestly don't know at that point if I wouldn't say, guys, you're on your own. You're on your own. I'm here at the doorstep. I'm the one that wanted to go in. You guys are on your own. You're going to need leadership. 
They're going to need protection. This is what Joshua does. It's his role. They're going to need to be served. Well, Joshua quit. After all, hasn't he fought his fight? Hasn't he waged his battle? What about you? Hmm? What's your wilderness that you're looking over right now? What's that battle on the horizon? What's that battle you're in right now? Does it seem like it's too much? Are you Joshua looking out over the wilderness knowing that's going to be your home for 40 years after you've done nothing wrong? What if you've fallen? What if you've stumbled in the middle of that wilderness? I got, I got a piece of advice for you. All right? Get up. Get up. You see, right now, God needed Joshua to get up. The only way the Israelites were ever going to make it to where they needed to be is if Joshua right now got up. I need you to get up. I need you to follow. I need you to lead. I need you to obey. I need your faith and I need it for 40 more years. Get up. Proverbs 24, I love this proverb. Though the righteous fall, though the righteous fall seven times, which means you and I are going to fall, they rise again. They get back up. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. God needed Joshua to get up. He would fight for these people for 40 more years in the wilderness. Then he would enter the promised land. Then he would be at war for an additional seven years when he went into the promised land. And then seven years after that, he would spend time administrating and settling this land. And only after that would he give his famous speech. He would continue to serve the Lord no matter what. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak tree near the holy place of God. See, he said to the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. After these things, after all of these things. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance. That's in Ephraim. Verse 31, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. I, have, I can't fathom what Joshua went through in 110 years leading this group of people day after day through the wilderness. All the battles he faced. That was his job. All the battles he faced. Continuing to obey God at every turn. He's honored in Scripture. In the Word of God, he is honored. You know, there, Scripture has a few Joshua's in it, but there's two that jump off the page because of their incredible, unrelenting pursuit of the Father, their complete faith, their complete obedience to the Father. One is Joshua, son of Nun. You guys know who the other one is? We say it a little bit differently in English. Yeshua. Jesus. Joshua. 
The very word means God saves. And complete obedience. Persistence means everything. Anybody do anything once. Do it tomorrow. Or the day after. Or the day after. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you that we can be challenged. We thank you that we can hold up a looking glass, Father. And see what it is we actually believe. We ask, Father, for courage and strength. We don't ask for ease or comfort. We ask for the ability to see you in all things, to pursue Jesus, to want to be sanctified, to be changed, to want to follow what is right and what is good. Father, we thank you again that you refine us through this persistence, that you give us this character of Christ as we face these battles. Help us to see that for what it truly is, an incredible gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
Father, we ask that today, whatever we face, whatever temptation we have, whatever battle that rages today, you will help us to remain faithful to Jesus, faithful obedience today. Help us to keep our eyes on eternity, to look through the battle, look through the enemy, just like Joshua. Keep our eyes on eternity, give us strength today. Lead us, lead us into a a submission, a humility, and a conversation with you tomorrow. So give us strength today. In Jesus' name.